Hey listeners, thanks for dropping in. I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. Hey listeners. Welcome back to Buried Motives. We're glad you're joining us for another week. And I can't wait to get into this case that we're going to talk about today because Christy is already riled up and ready to go. I am. <laughs> As you probably noticed by the title of this episode, it is called Vampire Sugar Daddy. It is going to be a wild ride. <laughs> Christy is angry already. I am. I was telling Melissa before we started, the guy in this case, I don't know if I've ever wanted to punch a man in the face more than I have with this man. <laughs> and if you knew Christy. <laughs> hey now. That means a lot. <laughs> I watched videos of him and just the way he spoke. And I was saying to Melissa, I think what it was is things that I've really despised in certain interactions with certain people in my life, he possesses those qualities and it <laughs> triggers me. <laughs> I wasn't lying when I said she's all riled up. <laughs> I am. Just as I was kind of, I haven't told her about the case at all, but I was telling her about this dirtbag and I was just like, oh my goodness, I'm already angry. <laughs> her face is getting redder. It is. <laughs> oh, he just leaves a bad taste in my mouth and you guys can tell me if he does for you as well. Now you have to fill us in on who he is. Oh, don't worry. I'm going to get there. <laughs> but to start with, you all know how intrigued I always am when it comes to couple serial killers. You're doing a couple killing? I am doing a couple. The killer duo that I'm going to be discussing are not serial killers, but I think only because they were caught before they could kill anybody else. Oh, that is a good thing. Mm -hmm. They are just so dangerous. However, I didn't necessarily choose today's case because the dirtbags are a couple. I chose it because the proceedings after the murder are what you might describe as bizarre. And the narcissism of one of the killers is what I believe contributed to their arrest. The dude just couldn't keep his mouth shut and misunderstood the saying, quit while you're ahead. So do you think that they would have gotten away with it had he not spoken up? They could have. Oh, interesting. Mm -hmm. And I have to know, I'm just so curious, how does a vampire fit into all this? <laughs> I know, it's so ridiculous, actually. <laughs> oh, like I said, I don't like this guy. <laughs> the whole time I'm just like rolling my eyes. I don't get this guy. Does he actually try to drink blood? I'm not going to tell you everything right away. Okay, sorry. No, I wouldn't even say he's a real vampire. Okay. Any people who proclaim to be actual vampires out there would be like, no, we disown you. You're not part of our tribe. Friends off. Yep. But some guys just always have to be right and prove that they are better than everyone else, even if it hurts them in the end. And I honestly did lose track at how many times I literally did roll my eyes while researching this case. <laughs> he has a couple of videos where he's speaking and I watched them multiple times. And every time it just made me more angry. It's so interesting that there are those personalities out there that even to hear them speak is just grating. Oh, it is. Mm-hmm. Especially after you've heard the case, it'll make you even more angry at him. <laughs> oh. I'm just being totally entertained by how much you're riled up. I am so riled up. Maybe it's the sugar we've been eating, <laughs> but I feel like I have this like pent up energy in me right now. 
That's what a whole box of Nanaimo bars will do to you. (laughs) I asked Melissa when she got here, I'm like, will you eat Nanaimo bars with me? And she's like, yes, I will. (laughs) Yep. I'm your ride or die friend. She really is. (laughs) But if any of our American listeners have never tried Nanaimo squares, if you have the chance, you need to one day. They're delicious. Oh, so good. Anyway, back to the case. We digress. Yeah, we digress. (laughs) Today, we're going to start with our victim. Usually I start with our murderer, but today I felt like we should start with our victim. The beautiful Sydney Loof, and I thought what an iconic 90s name, Sydney, Mm -hmm. was born in Nebraska in 1993. She loved animals and the outdoors. She enjoyed playing basketball, golfing, and fishing. As a teenager, Sydney was diagnosed with scoliosis, which is when the back or spine develops a curvature. This made playing sports more difficult for her. Sydney was extremely kind and loving and as a result had a lot of friends. She attended the Lutheran church growing up. She had a brother and a sister and came from a loving family. She sounds super sweet. Yes, and she was gorgeous to boot. Sydney was a responsible young adult. She graduated from Neely Oakdale High School in 2011. By the time she was 24, she rented her own place in Northeast Lincoln, Nebraska. She worked at a local hardware store named Menards and had a cat named Mimsy. As a single woman at the age of 24 in 2017, Sydney looked for love the same way most people still do today, with the use of dating apps. I don't know why people still use them because there are so many horror stories associated with them. I know. I'm glad I was married by the time dating apps became a popular thing. Me too. But it's hard for people to just meet someone organically anymore. It's true. Yeah. I know a lot of success stories with dating apps as well. That's right. Again, that's our bias of where we're doing our research. That's true. Sydney matched on Tinder with an attractive 23-year-old woman named Audrey. They started talking on November 11th, and the two of them sent over 140 messages back and forth between them before agreeing to meet in person. So it wasn't like a rush thing. Well, it was like three days before they met. Oh, so it was a rush thing. Yeah. Never mind. (laughs) But they had conversed a lot in those three days before meeting. They were Twitter-pated? Yep. (laughs) Tinder-pated? That's a new one. Good job, Christy. On November 14th, 2017, Audrey picked up Sydney for their first date. Before they met, Sydney asked Audrey two times if it was just going to be the two of them, to which Audrey answered yes. And the first date went great. They drove around, smoked a little bit of the devil's lettuce, and hung out in Audrey's rented basement suite at 621 West 7th in Wilbur, Saline County, Nebraska, for a while. The devil's lettuce. <laughs> I thought that was more interesting than saying weed. I <laughs> love it. When Audrey dropped Sydney off from their date, the two made plans to see each other again the next night after Sydney got off from work. Sydney went to work at Menards the next day on November 15th, likely excited for her date later that evening. Before Sydney left for her date, she posted a Snapchat picture of herself smiling that was captioned, quote, ready for my date. Sadly, that would be the last time any of her loved ones would ever hear from her. Oh no. The morning after the date, Sydney didn't show up for her shift at the hardware store. She always showed up for her shifts, so this caused her fellow employees concern. Yeah, because she's a super responsible person. She is. Sydney's mother lived in Neely and had texted Sydney when she was out on her date, but Sydney hadn't texted her back. Sydney continued to not respond to anyone's texts or phone calls, and this was very unusual for Sydney. She typically replied to people right away. When no one was still able to contact Sydney, Sydney's mother called the police on November 16th at 5 o'clock p.m. 
reported her missing and asked them to perform a welfare check on her daughter. Yeah, because something's definitely up. You know, there are certain people that just don't answer back right away. And there are certain people that do. And when you don't hear from those people that are like constantly on their phones, it's hugely suspicious. For sure. And now it's been an entire day. Like she waited until five o'clock that night. She probably set herself a time. If I don't hear from her by five, I'm calling the police. Oh, I bet you that's totally what it was. That's what I would have done. Mm -hmm. I would have set a time for myself just so that you could get through that panic moment that, okay, if I haven't heard by five, I'm calling. Yeah. Police did go to Sydney's rental home and didn't see any signs of an altercation. They did note that Sydney's glasses, car, and purse were left at the residence. Mimsy, Sydney's cat, was all alone and hadn't been fed. Sydney wore contact lenses, so if she ever went somewhere for an extended period of time, she would take her glasses with her. So she hadn't returned the night before. Correct. She was also such an animal lover that she would have never left her cat without food and fresh water. Because Sydney was a young adult and there were no signs of foul play, police were not overly worried at first. This made me wonder if police were less worried because Sydney had been out on a date with another woman. Women are generally not predators towards other women. They might have thought that Sydney and Audrey were just still on their date. Yeah, I could see that, actually. Yeah. I hate to say it, but I might have felt the same way. Oh, I probably totally would have. Yeah. Which is why a lot of times in couple killers, they do use the woman to lure the person that they want to attack. Mm -hmm. Because there's that sense of security. As a single woman in your early 20s, who do you know is always going to have your back? Your friends. Yeah. Our friends are always going to be there for us. Yep. And thankfully, Sydney had the most incredible friend ever. Sydney had told a few friends about Audrey. She had described her as her dream girl, which just makes this more sad, and had even sent a picture of Audrey to her friends. Some people think maybe she sent the picture just in case something went awry, but I think she likely sent it to her friends because she was excited about her attractive match. But maybe it was both. It was probably a little bit of both. It's always both. But you can totally see it. If you're Twitter pated, you're totally like wanting to brag about it and be like, look who I'm dating. Yeah. This is where I'm going. Yeah, because they're both attractive young women. And because she had sent that Snapchat of her ready for her date, like she was obviously really excited about it and this connection that she had made. So Sydney's friend, Brooklyn McChrystal, trusted her women's intuition that something was not right with Audrey. Being the queen that she is, Brooklyn decided to create a fake Tinder profile to look similar to Sydney's profile in hopes to match with Audrey. What a sneaky and dangerous thing to do. I think she's just brilliant. So brave. She had the picture of Audrey to confirm it was her if they happened to match. Because Sydney had sent her Audrey's picture. Right. And I thought, why didn't the police think of this? How long is this into Sydney's disappearance that she's thought this through already? Pretty much right after. Oh, so sorry. sneaky's not the right word, but so like ingenious. Yeah. Brooklyn sat and painstakingly swiped left on profile after profile until she finally stumbled upon Audrey. Brooklyn quickly swiped right. Brooklyn sent Audrey a message asking for her number and Audrey gave Brooklyn her phone number. And Brooklyn was then able to give this crucial information to the authorities. She was like, here you go. Go do something. Good for her. Yeah. So shout out to her friend. Like she honestly had her friends back. That is awesome. I don't think I would have been smart enough to do that. Yeah. Even the information that Sydney had written in her profile, she even matched that up. So it wasn't just that she physically looked like Sydney. She had a lot of the same things in her profile that Sydney had. Like all of her interests. and Yes. Yeah. 
Tinder account holders can be identified by an alphanumeric number. Law enforcement was able to identify the alphanumeric numbers for Sydney Loof's and Audrey's accounts. Turned out, Audrey wasn't really named Audrey at all. Oh dear. The woman who Sydney really went out on a date with was a woman named Bailey Boswell. The phone number that Brooklyn provided to the police traced back to the same Bailey Boswell. Police obtained a search warrant for their Tinder accounts and were able to read all of their messages to one another. These messages confirmed their dates on the 14th and 15th. The last message that Bailey, a.k.a. Audrey, had sent to Sydney was on November 15th at 6.54 p.m. that said that she was at Sydney's house, presumably to pick her up for their date. Okay. So why is Bailey presenting herself as somebody different? Is that common on dating apps? I don't know. That would be called catfishing, I guess. Does she go by like this alter persona? No, she actually will explain later why she used the name Audrey. Okay. But before we go any further in the investigation, let's talk about the dirtbag catfish, Bailey Marie Boswell. Bailey was born in Leon, Iowa on February 26, 1994. Ironically, Bailey's father was murdered when she was around the age of one. Oh no. Despite this, she had a great childhood. Her mother married again and her husband adopted Bailey. Bailey was an extremely gifted athlete. She ran some of the fastest times on her relay team and was a star basketball player. Such a basketball star, in fact, that she was offered a college scholarship to play ball. It's so unfortunate that this wasn't the path that Bailey would ultimately choose. She turned down her basketball scholarship? Well, Bailey fell into the wrong crowd. Oh, no. And began abusing drugs. Bailey did graduate high school, but in 2016, she was cited $400 for possession of recreational drug paraphernalia. Bailey met a man named Freddie Panel. She got pregnant and they were married. Their relationship was described by Bailey's mother as physically, emotionally, and sexually abusive. Oh no. Freddie allegedly had even beat Bailey while she was pregnant with their daughter and kicked her in the face. That's just what you were telling us the other week about. Yeah, intimate partner violence when you're pregnant. Mm -hmm. Freddie had a drug addiction and ultimately their daughter was taken away from them and placed into custody. To add to her trauma, there were allegations that Bailey had also been raped by a college boy. Bailey allegedly tried to clean her life up and get back on track after her daughter was apprehended. That was until she decided it would be easier to find a sugar daddy and met a man more than twice her age named Aubrey Trail. He was 51 at the time that this case takes place. Okay, so Aubrey and Audrey? Yes. Okay, (laughs) I'll try to keep it straight. Yeah. You are testing me. This was testing myself. <laughs> so, yes, now we're talking about Aubrey, not Audrey. Okay. Audrey was the alias that Bailey used. Yeah. Aubrey is this man that she's now in a relationship with as her sugar daddy. And that's the guy you hate. Yes. Okay. Very much so. You have strong dislike feelings for him. I do. He gives men a bad rap, honestly. Oh. Makes me want to puke in my mouth. (laughs) She's getting wrapped up again. I am. But I'm going to tell you about Aubrey, and I'll try to keep my emotions in check. Aubrey Clifton Trail was born on September 7th, 1966, and had a very different childhood than Bailey had. Aubrey was abused starting at a young age by his parents. When he turned two years old, his grandfather had enough and took him out of the house to care for him by himself. His grandfather. His grandfather, when he was only two years old, said, I'm taking this child out of here. Stand up move by granddad. Mm -hmm. 
I'm unsure of the reason why, but eventually Aubrey was returned to his mother and his stepfather. And I wonder if maybe his grandfather grew too old to take care of a toddler or had passed away. Okay. Aubrey's stepfather continued the trend to abuse Aubrey. There are not a lot of specific details about the abuse, just that it did happen. Aubrey ended up in the foster care system and moved from home to home. He lived in poverty most of the time, and as he aged, he started to be sent to juvenile facilities. When Aubrey was a teenager, he was sent to prison for armed robbery. As an adult, Aubrey became a con man using the ploy of an antique business to swindle money out of people wherever he could. So the con man is now going to set up a catfishing scheme through dating sites? Not quite. Oh, okay. So are you ready for it to get weird? Okay. Aubrey claimed that he was a vampire who could fly and read people's minds. What? Because he liked Twilight, right? Maybe. (laughs) He liked girls who were the age to enjoy Twilight, that's for sure. Oh, dear. As you would if you were a mind-reading flying vampire, he started his own sex cult. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. How many details do you have about this mind-reading, flying sex cult? I know. I'm sorry, you guys. <laughs> I won't go into a whole lot of detail on it, but that is what he created. He called himself a vampire sugar daddy, and he would provide young women money to be in his cult. He called these women his witches. Okay. He allegedly had a dozen witches in his coven. What? Yes. So he was supporting them and they were doing what for him? They were a member of his sex cult. So there's a lot of sex happening. Just with him. And orgies together. Okay. I don't believe any other men were involved. No. Gotta be the rule of your own coven. Yeah. He's the head vampire and they're his witches. Yeah. You don't share. Nope. Police later found a list that Aubrey had made of these women and what their special powers would be. Things like healer or fire. (laughs) I'm sorry. I didn't laugh. Okay. I know. I told you how many times I rolled my eyes while I was researching this case. What would your special power be, Christy? Fire, of course. Yeah, of course I'd be fire. My zodiac sign is a fire sign. I've got the red hair. And even my Chinese zodiac sign is the dragon, which breathes fire. So I guess I've got the fire in me. And that is definitely what my magical power would be. You're getting all fired up. I am. (laughs) How about you? I'd have to be the healer. Yeah, you would be the healer. Hey, healer and fire are the yeah. ones that I chose to put in there. <laughs> so you can heal all the destruction I make with my fire. <laughs> I'll calm people down. Yeah, we're our yin and yang. We work good together. <laughs> Aubrey would help pay for their rent, car payments, college fees, and give them around $200 a week for allowances. The women in return would allegedly have sex with Aubrey and participate in orgies that would sometimes involve choking. Oh, no. He funded his sex cult with the cons he was pulling through his shop. And just a little side note, police would later find Viagra as well as 17 sex toys in his residence, possibly supporting his sex cult claim. So there was some merit to it. Yes. And did they contact the other women in it to confirm that this is what was happening in the sex cult? Yes. A few of the so-called witches in his coven did testify in court. Okay. I'm having a hard time waiting. But like, do they drink blood and stuff? Like, where does the vampire, other than he can fly and read minds, why claim a vampire? We're actually not going to talk a lot about the vampirism in here. Okay. But he does talk about like drinking blood and that kind of stuff. But I couldn't find any hard facts to corroborate that. So I chose not to put it in. Okay, gotcha. 
but there could have been some weird stuff with blood going on, but nothing that I could find in the actual reports, so I didn't put it in there. Okay, so it wasn't substantiated enough. No, but could have been. Right. I'm just thinking, why call yourself a vampire instead of like a warlock or something like that? Yeah, because he was a Twilight fan, remember? (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) He's a Team Edward. Yeah, not Team Jacob. No. (laughs) But we digress again. So Bailey, the girl who had pretended to be Audrey, yeah. was a member of Aubrey's sex cult. She became his queen witch. And just like the other women in the cult, she referred to Aubrey as daddy. Shuka daddy? Did you just throw up a little inside your mouth, listeners? Because <laughs> I sure did. <laughs> this story takes a dark turn when Aubrey told his witches that in order for them to obtain their magical powers, because remember, he had already determined what their powers were, right. that they would have to breathe in someone's last breath. He had claimed that he had already killed many people, which I don't think was true. He just had to always be bigger and badder than everyone else. They called this guy daddy and they're having sex with him? Yeah. Okay. I talk about this later, but Bailey actually found him on like a sugar daddy site. Okay. So he's self-proclaimed. Yeah, he's self-proclaimed. I'm your vampire sugar daddy. Okay. And he knows that this is the arrangement. They're going to stay with me and have sex with me and I'm going to pay for their rent and their college and give them money. And a lot of women were like, yeah, we're down for that. Okay. Not that all of the women believed that they were witches and he was a vampire, but like, oh, this was a good deal for them, is what they were thinking at the time. It got them through college. Yeah. Without debt. To recruit more witches, Aubrey had Bailey create a fake profile on Tinder under the name Audrey because it was so close to his name. Okay. So we can see his narcissism showing already. It has to be all about him. All about him. Okay. She couldn't pick Sally or Linda. It had to be Audrey because it was so close to his name. But I think the real reason he chose this was to make it hard for future podcasters to keep the name straight while recording. Yeah, right. (laughs) So if I mess it up, I'm sorry. (laughs) They would use this dating app to lure in women to join his sugar daddy sex cult. And so that's what they're thinking with Sydney. Yes. Okay. It is believed that this was the motive behind luring Sydney out on dates. And when she didn't agree to join their cult, they murdered her. Oh, they couldn't just be like, okay, see you later. I guess not. Once you know about the cult, it's like uh, what happens in the cult stays in the cult and they let it slip. It's like Fight Club. Yeah. (laughs) You don't talk about Fight Club. But I think at the time when she turned them down, it was also an opportunity for Bailey to gain her magical powers. Mm, But were they actually doing anything illegal in the club? Bailey and Aubrey were running this big, huge scheme. The catfishing. The catfishing, but also the con artist stuff through the antique shop. Right. But as far as like illegal activity, other than like doing the drugs and that kind of stuff, I'm not certain that there was any other laws that they were breaking. But up until this time, all the other witches were in the coven consensually. Yes. Okay. Within days of Sydney being missing, police were able to pin down where Sydney's cell phone last pinged. It was at 8.31 p.m. near the duplex where Bailey and Aubrey lived together in Wilbur. This was the last activity recorded on her phone. Police went to their home and knocked on the door, but no one answered. They used the landlord's key to perform a welfare check. At this point, they wouldn't have known if Bailey was also a victim. Right. As Audrey. Right. So both girls are missing at this point. Could have been. It was grounds enough for them to be able to do a welfare check. Right. The only things that seemed suspicious was the grossly overwhelming smell of bleach and the fact that their air conditioner was running despite it being November and colder weather. The next day, the police went back with a warrant. 
The basement suite still reeked of bleach, and it appeared as though everything had been scrubbed down, including the walls. A speck of what looked like blood was found in the carpet, and a tiny bone fragment was also found on the premises. A bone fragment? Mm Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the bone fragment was too small to be tested, and no DNA was able to be retrieved from the blood sample. Because they were so small. Yeah. And they had cleaned everything with bleach. It was too damaged. It was too small. They could tell that it was blood, but they couldn't test for DNA. That's interesting for first timers to be so thorough. That is true. And without being pre-planned. I think it was pre-planned that if she wasn't going to join the coven, this is what we were going to do. Okay. So technically to me, that is premeditation. Yeah, absolutely. And as you'll find out, there is evidence that they were prepared for this. Okay. Yeah, because that's a big cleanup to do if you weren't expecting already to do that. Yeah, no, they were definitely expecting. I think it was like a bonus if she wanted to join their cult. But if not, it wasn't a big deal because then she could be their first victim. Okay. The bleach smell was so pungent that the owner of the duplex complained that a member of his family had vomited from the strong smell and even developed hives. What? Mm-hmm. It was that strong. They must have had an adverse reaction to it. Yeah. On November 28th, Aubrey and Bailey were announced as persons of interest in the missing persons case of Sidney Loof. Police had not located the couple. This is when Aubrey's narcissistic ways would get the better of him. He's not going to make a statement, is he? Yeah, he is. What? (laughs) Instead of just like taking off and fleeing. No, he is so offended about what people are saying about him and he feels like he has to clear his name. So the police don't have any idea where he is. No. And he speaks up. Yeah. All that they have announced is that they are persons of interest. In the missing case of Sydney Loof, because they don't even know that she's dead yet. Right. And so they've put their pictures out on the news saying they are persons of interest. We're trying to locate them. Yeah, because we need to get some information from them. Yes. And he could not handle the negative publicity that he was receiving. And he was like, how dare you? Oh, wow. Sydney's family had made a Facebook page about Sydney, trying to use it to help locate her. When Aubrey and Bailey were announced as persons of interest... Aubrey couldn't handle all the criticism that people were spewing about him. The couple decided, or I'm quite confident that it was Aubrey who decided, to make a Facebook live stream video to defend themselves on Sydney's page that I mentioned. So why not just go to the police? Why make a Facebook live stream? He'll talk about why. Okay. <laughs> and this is not the only video. That's just so bizarre to me. It like is. if you want to clear your name, you go and talk to the police like they've asked you to do. Yeah. Well, and he knows he can't clear his name because he knows he murdered her. Right. But instead of just leaving it alone and fleeing, no, he has to defend himself. And that's where I say narcissism, I believe, was his downfall in this. Thank goodness. That is just so bizarre to me why you would even bother to make the video. Yeah, because he's one of those men that has to be bigger and better and knows more. And how dare you say anything bad about me? Because, too, if we think about how he's living right now, he's daddy. He's a vampire. He has his whole sex cult of 12 women doing whatever he tells them to do. Nobody can touch me. Yeah, such a narcissist. Okay. The video is close to 10 minutes long. And Aubrey... (laughs) Sorry. This is what I hate him. It's like, shut the bleep up. (laughs) 10 minutes. Almost, yeah. It's like nine minutes and some seconds. So what does he have to say? That's what I mean. It just makes me so angry. But I am going to tell you if you let me. (laughs) can you talk about like it's not me he's such a bser honestly does he present an alibi then like is that what he's talking for 10 minutes on no no but i can tell you if you'd like me to (laughs) 
So like I said, the video is close to 10 minutes long and Aubrey acts like they are such victims. It's of course. It's all woe is me. Yes. Bailey is wearing a hoodie and sunglasses in the video and you can see just part of Aubrey's face while they are sitting in their car recording. So you can mostly see Bailey's face and then Aubrey just kind of off to the side. And I'm just going to paraphrase here because I'm not going to read a whole 10 minute long video for you. But he says that the police are crucifying them in the media. And he talks about how they are being considered guilty unfairly and they deserve to tell their side of the story. He continues to say that the police are lying about not being able to contact them for questioning and protest that they are not hiding from the law. He claims they even already spoke to the police and called so many times that the police told them to stop calling. What? Was any of that true? No. But he does say that they are doing the video instead of coming into the police station because of the warrants that he already has for his earlier crimes of theft. Oh man, stand up guy. (laughs) Right? But I thought about it and I thought this is like a way of manipulation because I believe that he admits to his lesser crimes to try to gain credibility for being honest to whoever will listen. That's like catfishing 101, right? Yeah. So he's like, yeah, I've written bad checks and I have forged this and I've done this, but I'm not a murderer. And I've called the police so many times they've told me to stop calling. You proclaim to be not perfect so that hopefully people overlook those huge flaws then. Yes. And I can see how he would be able to manipulate the vulnerable. Mm -hmm. He also tells the public that the police only have leads because they're the ones who came forward with information to give to the police. Basically, they are doing the police's job for them. He calls the police liars, saying the police didn't even come to their home to speak with them. He says he is basically a scapegoat because of his history, but he is such a good guy. He said the police have cost him his life, and he prays for Sydney and hopes she is found soon and is sorry that she wasn't home with her family for Thanksgiving. What a dirtbag. Is this not just even going to turn the police's suspicion even more onto him? Totally. Like, what was he thinking? He just couldn't let it be. He could not let anyone say anything negative. He had to clear his name. Right. So after he's done spewing his verbal diarrhea, Bailey says, good morning, all chipper. She's like, hi, I'm Bailey. Yeah, that's exactly (laughs) almost how she says it. And she says that this video is not about her, but about Sydney. She said she only used an alias because of her warrants. She says she already explained everything about her interactions with Sydney and talks about their great dates that they had. She said she even gave her a quarter ounce of some really good weed and then went to drive her home, but said that Sydney asked to be dropped off at a friend's house instead. So that is what she did. Okay. She said they had plans for the upcoming weekend, but hasn't heard from her since. She also tells the family that she is sorry. She says she didn't have anything to do with her going missing and then talks about what a sweet, amazing girl Sydney is. So she's a total dirtbag too. Yep. Because later, too, they tried to victim blame Sydney, saying that this friend that they were dropping her off at was actually Sydney's drug dealer. Oh, yeah, that is awful. I know. You can see why he irritates the heck out of me. Aubrey finishes off the video by saying F you to the police departments who have been harassing him. They're crucifying me. Oh, poor Aubrey. Yeah. Do you need a lollipop and a pat on the back? No, he needs a bucket of blood and a new witch. Ugh. But like I said, because once wasn't annoyingly enough, Aubrey makes a second video. That is just so funny to me. It's got to be dumbest dirtbags. Totally. He just could not leave well enough alone. Well, thankfully, though, because at least he gets caught then. Yeah, it's his ego that gets him caught. Hmm. 
So after he puts up this video, you can imagine people are going wild and saying even more things about him. So then he's got to have a rebuttal then. Yes, because he's being crucified and this is unfair and the police are purposely ruining his life. Oh, no. I know. So in the second video, this one this time is over 10 minutes long for him to rebuttal what the police are saying about him. He spits out so-called facts about how many times they have spoken to the police and tells the police that if they're going to talk about him, at least get the facts straight. So he's totally being condescending about the police. Listeners, are you guys rolling your eyes yet? Because you should be. He is responding to online comments people have made. He obviously took it personally and makes fun of the outrageous claims that the police were making. He's like, yeah, supposedly we killed this girl and supposedly we did this. But have the police said that at all? Really, they've just said he's a person of interest. Exactly. So, yeah, he is totally shooting himself in the foot. So, again, he obviously took it personally and makes fun of the outrageous claims that the police were making. He complains that their first video was removed and protests that they should be able to tell their side of things. He totally attempts to gaslight everyone watching by making it sound like everyone else is lying and can't do their jobs properly. He ends with saying he's never killed anyone in his life and tells people to basically look at how ridiculous the police are. (laughs) Except I'm sure this has the same effect as the first video and everybody's looking at him and how ridiculous he is. Yes. But this time he's trying to like spew out facts. Like we went in on this date at this time and this is my attorney. And he actually even like spells out the last name of his attorney and is like, I am not hiding. Here is my information. If you want to contact me, you contact my attorney. It's just you guys not doing your job. Blah, 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 blah. So what are the comments on this video? They've been removed. So oh, I don't know. Dang. I wasn't able to look at the comments. Because <laughs> you would get those police haters that would be totally all over this, right? Oh, Yeah. Yeah. But I think most were negatively towards Mm. him because they're looking, we have to remember, they're looking for this beautiful young woman. Yes. His ego would not allow him to shut his mouth. And he is so incredibly condescending. It's honestly infuriating. Knowing what he had already done at this point, he makes me sick. I'd read the entire video's transcripts, but then you'd want to punch him too. But if you happen to be going to a boxing class today, go watch both of those videos, especially the second one, and you'll crush your class. (laughs) motivation for kickboxing that is right on november 30th police finally catch up with the dual dirtbags and arrest them at a motel in branson missouri they didn't have enough evidence to arrest them for the murder so they arrested them with pre-existing fraud charges and were able to detain them on federal material witness warrants bailey and aubrey were found with maps sleeping bags and hiking shoes they had been planning to flee to mexico that's not suspicious at all And if he would have just gone to Mexico right away and not worried about what was being said online about him, they probably would have made it to Mexico and been on their merry way. So thankfully they didn't. That's a scary thought. They also found an iPhone 7 that belonged to Bailey. She happily gave police permission to search it, only for them to discover that it had been reset to factory settings on November 17th, two days after the second date. And again, super suspicious. Yep. Because who does that? Yeah. No one. Police were able to collect video surveillance of Aubrey and Bailey just prior to Sydney's disappearance. And you can watch these online as well. On November 14th, the day of the first date, you can see the couple check into a Best Western close to Sydney's work. I'm assuming so Aubrey wouldn't be at their house when Bailey would have her first date with Sydney. The next day, November 15th, the day of the second date, you can see footage of the couple going into the Aardvark Antique Mall and purchase a folding saw, a weeder, and food grinders. What? 
It gets worse. No. Next, and this one will really blow your mind. There is footage of Aubrey entering Menards, the store that Sydney worked at. Bailey couldn't come in because Sydney would have recognized her. As Aubrey walks in, Sydney is walking out. You can see them make eye contact, but Sydney keeps walking, suggesting to police that she hadn't met Aubrey yet at this point. In the video, you can see Aubrey look over his shoulder at Sydney as she exits the store. Oh, that's creepy. He knew exactly who she was. I'm certain he got a kick out of walking past her, knowing what he was about to do to her only hours later. So was there really ever any intent on asking her to join? I don't know. Probably not. It doesn't sound like it. At the very store where Sydney worked, Aubrey purchased an air freshener, Drano, protein bars, a thermometer, and lighters. Oh my goodness. So I'm sure he got a kick out of buying those from the store that she works at and walking right past her. That is so bizarre. Yeah. And she's thinking she's dating this 23-year-old woman. She's not worried about some middle-aged man coming into the store. No, it's just some guy shopping at her store. Yeah, she would think totally unrelated. But they're not done shopping yet. The pair had also stopped at Home Depot and bought a 12-inch long hacksaw, wire snips, drop cloths, a sharp utility knife, and backup blades for that utility knife. What? At another store, they bought a tree saw, 30-gallon trash bags, and gallons of Clorox bleach. They bought so much bleach. They bought more trash bags and bleach at a Dollar General store as well. And some of these last purchases were made after the second date. Oh, no. So they went back out to get more trash bags and bleach. All of these purchases were corroborated later during the trial with barcodes, receipts, and testimonies from employees. The FBI became involved in this case and led search teams with the local police department looking for Sydney. Heartbreakingly, on December 4th and 5th, these teams would discover Sydney Loof's body parts. Is there any of her left with all those saws? Yes, there's a lot of her left. Okay. East of Clay Center in Clay County, Nebraska, multiple black trash bags were found scattered about. Sydney's body had been dissected into 14 pieces, and sadly, only 13 of those pieces were ever found. Oh, so not all of her was found. Yeah. One of her upper arm shoulder areas was never retrieved. Certain organs were also never recovered. The remains were identified as Sydney's by one of her tattoos that read, quote, everything will be wonderful someday. Oh, that's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Along with body parts, police found in the garbage bags things like clothing and sex toys. They threw out their sex toys with her? I'm assuming possibly ones that they used on her. Because they still found 17 sex toys in his basement suite. But they had thrown some other sex toys away as well with her remains. Did those sex toys have any of their DNA on it? No, everything was cleaned so well with bleach. Oh, okay. That's yeah. right. Gallons and gallons of bleach. Mm-hmm. There was also a sheet found in the field where Sydney's body was found that matched the sheets at Aubrey's home. Police were able to determine that the suspect's cell phones had pinged off towers in close proximity to where the remains were found. I always find that so interesting when they can do that. Yeah, I love that they can do that. An autopsy was performed on Sydney's remains at the Douglas County Morgue on December 7th. Although she had been dismembered, her cause of death was determined to be homicidal violence, including strangulation. Once arrested, and as the evidence piled up, Bailey became very tight-lipped and wouldn't tell the police anything. Aubrey, however, as I'm sure you can guess, <laughs> because of his ego, would go on to tell the police multiple different versions of what had happened. Bailey was a little bit smarter than he was. Yes. About keeping her mouth shut. Yep. Thankfully, he wasn't. 
It's interesting that you mentioned that there is also strangulation because isn't that what he did with his other witches? Yeah. It was a fetish of his? Yeah, choking was a sexual fetish for him. Hmm. And that's why, I mean, there's no reports of her being sexually assaulted, but because he was into that and they found those sex toys, I'm assuming that she could have been. Yeah. Along with the choking marks. Yeah. Which just makes it even worse. Mm -hmm. At first, he claimed that her death was accidental, that they were engaged in many sexual acts that night, and he had consensually choked her with a cord, which led to her death. And even listening to him talk, he's like, like, there was so much sex. And he's almost bragging about all the sex that occurred that evening. Oh, I really took care of her needs kind of thing, right? Like, and she just had such a great time with me and all the sex we had. Yeah. But in reality, the only women having sex with him are the women that he's paying to. (laughs) That just makes it so much more ridiculous. It totally does. He later changed his story to say that he had planned to kill Sydney, but that Bailey wasn't in the room when he killed her. Oh, he's falling on the sword. Mm -hmm. How noble. That's interesting. That's not what I would expect from his personality. But she is his queen witch. Okay. But then he does change the story again to say that Bailey helped him dispose of the body. That's different than being in the room with him when he killed her. Yes. But it's all in different accounts. The story Mm. changes a little bit every time. Because first she had nothing to do with it. Now she's helping to dispose of the body. But I thought to get her power, she needed that last breath. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So I think she is just as guilty. And I would assume because they believed all this so much that she probably did try to breathe in her last breath. Mm, That's a gross thought. One of his versions of events even stated that he was paid to make sexual kink films and that he had paid Sydney to act in one of the films and she knew that choking could lead to death. Oh, so it was an occupational hazard? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, Yeah, she was aware of the risk, but I paid her good money and she agreed to be in this film. So where's the film? Yeah, exactly. There was no film. And I think that the video footage of them purchasing all those items to kill and dismember Sydney together is evidence enough that the couple planned and carried out this horrific murder together and it was no accident. No, not at all. And the videos of them shopping is sickening as they look totally calm, like a couple who goes out on a random Wednesday evening to grab milk and bread. They just come up to the till, they're putting their stuff on, the conveyor belt, just not a care in the world. Total dirtbags. Mm-hmm. One of the good things about his ramblings is that it led authorities to Sydney's cell phone, her driver's license, and credit card at a local cemetery. On June 11, 2018, Bailey and Aubrey were both charged with first-degree murder and improper disposal of human remains. The next day, they made their first court appearances. Both pled not guilty, and in the coming months, the prosecution declared that they would be seeking capital punishment for both defendants and added conspiracy to commit murder charges to both of their charges. Yeah, because they did so much planning. Mm-hmm. In June of the following year, 2019, Aubrey pled guilty to only one of these charges, improper disposal of human remains. At the end of that same month, Aubrey did something during his trial that left the courtroom stunned. And you can see this on YouTube as well. During the second week of his trial, Aubrey was wheeled into court in a wheelchair. I believe he was having heart issues in prison, so they had him in a wheelchair at this point. Once he was situated, in a loud, boisterous voice, Aubrey yells out, Bailey is innocent, and I curse you all. What? (laughs) Then he proceeds to pull out a piece of razor blade and slashes the side of his own throat three times before collapsing into his chair. What? (laughs) Yeah, it is wild to watch. You don't actually get to see him like actually, you know, slicing his throat. You can hear him yelling and you can see some people are running away from the commotion and others are running towards him. 
and you hear the judge yell at the camera person to stop recording. She's like, stop recording, stop recording. So he tried to commit suicide. Yeah, and they were good slashes. But isn't that the wildest thing you've ever heard? Yeah. And why wasn't he handcuffed? Exactly. Like, I mean, if you're handcuffed, I guess you can still get your hands up to your neck. But where did he get the razor from? And I should note that some reports say it wasn't a razor, that it was a sharp piece of metal, and others say it was part of a pen. Okay. So the exact thing, I'm not 100% sure, but most of them said it was a small piece of razor that he had gotten. But that could have been a small piece of metal or something. Right. And so he tries to commit suicide, but he wants to save Bailey. Does he really love Bailey? I don't know. Maybe. Mm. And he puts a curse on the everybody, yes, right? that's the best part. And I curse you all. I didn't know vampires could curse. Again, he should have been a warlock, not a vampire. He got it wrong. <laughs> but I guarantee if you tell him he got it wrong, he'll post a 10-minute video explaining to you why he's right. <laughs> Aubrey was pale and unresponsive and had to be rushed to the hospital. He was stitched up and survived his wounds, but missed out on part of his trial. And you can see the slashes later during his trial. And they were large. He meant business. It was like the whole side of his neck. Hmm. And three just like... Before he passed out. Yeah. That would take a lot of nerve. Yeah. To do it even three times. Yeah. He totally meant business. He did. Court had to pause while the blood was cleaned up and the jury was told to disregard Aubrey's outburst. (laughs) I was like, how is that possible? I always get a kick out of when the judge says, just just disregard that. Uh, We saw it. There's no way that you could not take that into account later on. I've always felt that way when you hear about trials and they're like, disregard that statement. No, I'm sorry. That's in my brain. That lives here rent free now. (laughs) Yeah. Anyone who was snoozing bored in the back had some life injected into them when all of this chaos would have happened. And when Aubrey returned to court, he was placed in handcuffs. Oh, so he really wasn't in handcuffs the first time. No, they probably totally underestimated him because of his age and because he was like playing this frail person. But he's not a frail person and he really wasn't that old. No, he was like totally. I'm just a con man. Well, that's what I mean. He was being a con man, playing it up. Oh, I have this heart condition. I need to be in a wheelchair. You wouldn't put somebody in a wheelchair in handcuffs. Yeah. Right? That's a good point. Yeah. If he was being wheeled in a metal wheelchair, he could go through the metal detectors. Yes. And have something hidden on him. Yep. That's true. Good thought. Total con man. Total dirtbag. See again. Let's roll our eyes together, (laughs) listeners. (laughs) The entire trial for Aubrey was a bumpy ride. The defense brought in Aubrey's childhood abuse to try and explain his actions. They also tried to tarnish Sydney's reputation, saying she was troubled and depressed and used cocaine. They also tried to convince the jury that memes found on her phone depicting choking and rough sex proved that she sought out these types of fantasies. I just always hate when they do this because, okay, let's just say all of those things were true. It doesn't make it any more acceptable to murder her. I know. And I wrote in here, all I have to say to them is, for shame. Yeah. Like, shame on you guys. Defend all you want, but never victim blame. That is not okay. And I believe that she was struggling with depression and certain things like that, but that has nothing to do with her being viciously murdered and dismembered. No, not at all. Uh Uh-uh. And even if she did enjoy the devil's lettuce once in a while, her prerogative. Or like to be choked. Like, again, it doesn't change the fact that they viciously murdered her. Right. So it always rubs me the wrong way when defense takes that route. I understand when they try to discredit a witness, but discrediting the victim? When she's not there to defend herself? Yeah. That's a dirtbag move in my opinion. Mm -hmm. 
Bailey's attorney also tried to use the abuse that she had endured as a defense and suggested that she was forced to comply in the murder after being emotionally manipulated by a man double her age. That might be believable. Maybe. All of this was mostly in attempts to avoid the death penalty. However, testimony came out that Sydney was not the first young woman that Aubrey and Bailey had targeted. Allegedly, they had picked out two other women previously to carry out their plans to murder on. But they had joined the coven and said... No, things just didn't work out for them to murder them. And this is by testimony of the women that were in their cult. So the other women knew about it too? Knew that they were planning a murder. I don't know that any of them were there that night. But they knew that they were planning and didn't go to the police and be like, hey, these guys are planning on killing somebody. No. And I know one of the women says that she just thought they were kind of delusional. Like she just went along with it to use Aubrey for his money. And she didn't believe that he was really a vampire or that... He was really going to do these things. She thought it was all just blowing smoke. Yeah. And I guess if you have somebody telling you that, hey, I'm a vampire and I can fly and I can read your mind, that him telling you, hey, he's going to murder somebody is going to come across as being the same baloney. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. One of the other women in the cult testified that the pair were trying to get her to pick out a woman to be the first victim, telling her that she had to feed on steam, which meant breathing her victim's last breath. An idea she said they had gotten from Stephen King's book, Dr. Sleep, which I didn't read, so I'm not 100% sure if that's true. She said Aubrey talked about killing and torturing someone on a regular basis. He apparently had a kill bag that contained a hammer and pliers. It was said that he fantasized about torturing people by ripping off their fingernails and cutting out their eyelids. Who is this guy? Right? And all of these fantasies have just kind of built over his adulthood? Like, does he have any abuse charges against other people? No. All of his charges are fraudulent charges. About being a con man. Yeah, armed robbery, fraud, those types of things. So is this something he's been suppressing his whole life? Or is he just growing into this bigger monster? Okay, so he believes he's a vampire, but that doesn't mean that you torture people for it. Right. So bizarre. When a woman they were stalking in Walmart didn't pan out... Aubrey told this lady in the cult that they would, quote, save her for another time because she was, quote, too nice and didn't have the evil in her. After this incident, the woman told the vampire sugar daddy that she wanted out of the cult. They let her leave but threatened to kill her family if she told anyone about their plans. So she didn't come forward. So good for her for getting out. Mm -hmm. And that is a huge fear, right? If somebody's threatening your family, yeah, you're going to keep your mouth shut. Especially if you're believing that these people are actually going to kill somebody. Right. And it started off where he'd talk about it once in a while, and then he just kind of became obsessed with it, and it was always being brought up and talked about. Mm. A second woman from the cult testified about the money the couple were cheating people out of and told the courts that the women were made to walk around the house naked and call Aubrey daddy. She also testified that the pair talked about murdering someone on a regular basis. This woman didn't believe their talks about obtaining magical powers from killing someone, but believed Aubrey when he talked about making a snuff film and being able to sell it for $1 million. And so all of these other women that were part of the coven, they were saying that it was just him and Bailey that were in on these con games. Correct. None of the rest of them were. Correct. Okay. A third woman from their cult testified similar things, including that they were not only made to call Aubrey daddy, but that they were made to call Bailey mommy as well. Oh, that's weird. She admitted to being with the couple the days following the murder, but was missing large sections of time in her memory and worried that she was made to help dispose of the remains and had just repressed the memories. 
this was proven to be untrue. The dates did not add up. So why was she missing her memories from those days? I don't know. I don't know if they were drugging her or what. That would be an interesting way to blame somebody else for your crimes, though. You totally could. Just totally drug them and be like, yeah, you did this. Yeah. And they couldn't remember. And so... I'm surprised they didn't. Yeah. But Aubrey was too busy making his Facebook videos to worry about that. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) During Aubrey's trial, Todd Lancaster of the Nebraska Commission on Public Advocacy said, quote, Looking at the evidence, it's pretty clear that Aubrey Trail killed Sidney Loof. He continued to explain that Aubrey often dished out violence and threats to control women. During closing statements, Assistant Nebraska Attorney General Mike Ginnon said, quote, Loof was dismembered and discarded like trash. This was a climax killing. There was an excitement, I will suggest to you. And I agree. I have to say, I think they got off on the planning and execution of their heinous plan to kill someone. Oh, that totally makes sense. Yeah. So I think this was a sexually motivated crime. You're building that anticipation every time they pick out somebody, every time they go to the store shopping for something different. Yeah. Why would you go to so many different stores to shop for something? Probably to not raise suspicion. Because if they had all of those items in one cart, Mm -hmm. where if you're just getting a couple here and there, people aren't going to be asking questions. After only a few hours, the jury was done deliberating. Aubrey was found guilty of all charges. He was sentenced by a three-panel judge in June of 2020 to death row in Nebraska. He is sentenced to die by lethal injection and is Nebraska's 12th death row inmate. He is currently still awaiting his sentence to be carried out. Immediately, he wanted to appeal his case, and being the arrogant douche canoe that he is, Aubrey wanted to be able to represent himself in court. (laughs) Because that always goes so well. He was obviously denied the opportunity. He must have figured that he could do it better by himself. Of course. He's just the worst kind of person. People like this totally get under my skin. If anybody couldn't tell by now. Yeah, if you can't tell. (laughs) At his sentencing, Aubrey did not apologize to Sydney's family. Of course not. He said, quote, I realize nothing I can say here will change in the least what I did to Sydney three and a half years ago. I won't say I'm sorry, as that would be an insult to you after what I've put you through. And I won't ask for forgiveness, as I don't believe there is such a thing. So it's kind of backhanded, hey? It is. Yeah. Just everything about him is so condescending. Bailey Boswell was also found guilty on October 14th, 2020, of all charges. Bailey's family made a desperate plea to spare their daughter's life. They claimed that she wasn't the monster that everyone made her out to be and was manipulated by Aubrey despite Bailey purposefully seeking out a sugar daddy online. They spoke about the control that Aubrey enforced over women and claimed that their daughter was afraid of him. Bailey's defense had likened Aubrey to the iceberg in Titanic, how they couldn't talk about the Titanic without talking about the iceberg, how Aubrey was at the center of everything. And I honestly question this when she sat cool as a cucumber in those videos. She did not seem under duress to me. Yeah, you can put up a good act sometimes. But it's not like he was holding her there. She could have fled at any time, right? Yeah. And she went shopping with him all relaxed. Like nothing to me in any of her videos indicated that she was nervous or uptight or not wanting to be there. Right. And she was the one bringing the women in. And so if she really didn't want to take part in this murder, wouldn't you just keep swiping and be like, oh, there's nobody yet? Yeah. Or she went on that first date. With Sydney, she could have been like, no, she's not the right one. That's right. Just keep turning them down. Right. But no, she's like, yeah, let's do it and arrange the second date. Yeah. 
Bailey's family also used the fact that Bailey had a daughter whom she was in contact with via phone and video chat in their plea to save her life. Her daughter at age five was placed in custody of Bailey's parents. Bailey's stepfather said about her, quote, The Bailey they know and the Bailey I know are two different people, and the abuse is what I believe caused that. If it wasn't for this abuse, she wouldn't have been involved with Trail. Their pleas must have helped, because in November of 2021, Bailey Boswell was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole by a three-panel judge. This panel of judges spent months reviewing Bailey's trial before reaching a decision. Some believe that she didn't get the death penalty because a woman has never been given the death sentence in Nebraska before, and they didn't know logistically where or how to house her until her execution. I was just thinking that, that I bet you she would have been at less at risk of getting a death penalty sentence just because she's a woman. Yeah, they did not have a woman's death row implemented. Bailey is incarcerated at the Nebraska Correctional Center for Women in York, and Aubrey is awaiting death at the Tecumseh State Correctional Institution in Tecumseh, both of which are in Nebraska. Do they keep in contact, this king and queen? Well, they did. I actually didn't put this in here, but they had written letters to each other and tried to write it in code, like as their trial was going on. And the police were easily able to decipher their code, but they had written back and forth to one another during the trial even. So then that just shows you that she's not a pawn. No. Because you would break all ties. You would. Yeah. Yeah, no, they were definitely corresponding through letters while incarcerated. Are they still in communication with each other? I don't know. Unless she's still under his vampire spell. Well, she is the queen witch. Yeah. To add a little icing to our verdict cake... The police were able to convict both dirtbags on a gold coin scheme that they had concocted that had swindled approximately $400,000 out of people. Oh, that's a good chunk of change. Yeah, this is how he was affording to pay for all his witches. His 12 witches? Yeah, his whole coven. Because this is just one operation that they charged him for. He was doing lots. Evidence for this was obtained during the murder investigation warrants, and each were given additional years to their charges. I couldn't find the exact time, but they were facing 10 additional years each and $250,000 worth of fines. Hmm. And I know it doesn't make a difference to their sentences, but I'm glad that this got slapped on them as well. Slap as much as you can on them. That's right. So I am curious at this point, do you agree with me that these two likely would have killed again had they not been stopped? There's definitely the potential there. That's for sure. Yeah. I really think they would have become serial killers. Yeah. Did Aubrey have it in him to keep his mouth shut long enough to become a serial killer? I don't know. Had he not been claimed a person of interest? Probably. Yeah, maybe. But don't you think it would get to him and he'd have to like claim it to somebody? Like just to promote his power over everybody else? Like, I've done this kind of thing. But I think that's what his coven was for. Mm. And I think he was so used to being that way with his coven that he couldn't handle to see people online saying bad things about him. Right. And just for them to be so relaxed and nonchalant on those videos after what they had just done. Like they were not shooken up at all. Yeah, that's really weird. Yeah. Before I end, I have a little update on Sydney's legacy. The Facebook page that Sydney's family had created that was called Finding Sydney Loof that the killers posted to has been renamed to Celebrating Sydney Loof. And it is a way for her family to communicate to the public. Also, the Set Me Free Project, which is an anti-trafficking nonprofit organization, gives $3,000 scholarships in Sydney's name to students who are pursuing careers in criminology, online safety, and social work. Oh, that is interesting. I just love that. I was like, that is so nice. And that is the story of two dirtbags that thought they were in a cool sex cult 
and plotted and planned a vicious murder of an innocent young woman and never deserved to be let out free on the streets ever again. The Vampire Sugar Daddy Aubrey Trail and the Queen Witch Mommy Bailey Boswell. And I guess our takeaway for this case is to be careful out there on online dating apps. Not all dating app dirtbags are out to murder you, but a lot of them are out there to swindle you. And I just wanted to mention that when I attended CrimeCon this past spring, there was a speaker, Christopher Salgado, who warned about online dating schemes. He said that in 2021, $547 million had been lost to romance scammers. No way. And this was an 86% increase since 2020. So from just the year before. Well, because there's so much more online dating happening. Yeah. So it is on the rise. We need to be socially interactive people in person. I know. I was thinking, what happened to the days when you could meet your significant other at the local pop shop or grocery store? So please, listeners, be safe out there. Yes. But with that being said, we hope you have a wonderful week. See ya. Bye. What do you want me to say, Christy? How much you love me. I love you. <laughs> I want to say men, but I love men. But <laughs> My cheeks are hurting because we've been laughing so much. <laughs> Stop smiling, Melissa. <laughs> That's a good problem to have, I guess. That's what a whole box of Nanomo Nanaimo bars. Nanaimo. Nanaimo bars. That's what a whole box of Nanaimo <laughs> What kind of Canadian are you? Do or die, friend. Yeah, totally. My ride or die. Yeah, that's right. Do or do or die. Because <laughs> I'm all riled and like breathing heavy. <laughs> Relax, Christy. Oh, it's okay. It's between this stupid dirt bag and the sugar. I'm just like wired. <laughs> Have more sugar, Christy. Yeah, I know. While we're eating these Nanaimo squares, we were talking about how we both need to get back into working <laughs> Now Melissa's turning red and all fired up, but for different reasons. I may have embarrassed myself in front of my husband who took me to see that movie. (laughs) Whoops. Whoopsie daisies. This is why I can't have sugar, because I crash so hard. Hey, we're live, pal, and we'd love for you to come check out our podcast, Tales from the Estate. Each week, we talk about our top five favorite somethings. My beautiful wife, Caitlin, likes to share all sorts of random facts. Yeah. Did you know that cows have accents? We did now. But we also review all sorts of snacks and other great things. And so if you love everything random, I think you'd enjoy Tales from the Estate. So come check us out. Yeah. Okay, thanks. Bye. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.
Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.